Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be looking at Bo Burnham's directorial debut, Eighth Grade. We'll be doing a recap of some stuff we saw in summer, some things we, <laughs> some things we liked, some things we missed, uh, and just kind of look at summer of 2018 in film and what that was. I swear that won't be a long conversation. We're also going to take a gander at Spike Jones's 2013 love story, Her. But first, the news, a surprisingly light week this week, Andy. Yes. Uh, Supergirl is on the drawing board for Warner Brothers in DC. We we're talking about the film, not the show, but based on the show on the CW. You found this story. You also found the other story, and I didn't really read it before the show. <laughs> it's all right. What are the details here, Andy? Okay, so a couple of weeks we had a big shakeup over at DC uh, when Walter Hamada is taking over as the um, director of new things coming <laughs> from uh, Warner Brothers Studios. Yeah. Um, so. After Man of Steel, they were supposed to go right into Man of Steel 2, but because it kind of underwhelmed financially, they went ahead and went to uh, Batman v Superman and Justice League and that whole disaster. Um, but it was hinted that Supergirl would maybe be in the canon, and so it looks like they're going to go that way. We don't really have a lot of details on the story or what direction it might go, but we do know that after you know four or five films of heavy, dark, and dreary um, Zack Snyder <laughs> camera work. Um, yeah. DC's le definitely looking to go in new directions, and it looks like they're going to focus on, you know, just like they did with Wonder Woman and with a female-led superhero, they're also going to do with Supergirl. I think it's a smart move, and I'll tell you why. It's not because of the success of the Supergirl television show. It's not because of the underwhelming performance of uh, the Zack Snyder films, it's because once again DC needs to do something different, and I think maybe moving away from the tentpole heroes that we know and keeping them in their ivory tower, and maybe focusing on smaller stories might be a good—I mean, might be a good move for them. I, I know I don't want to say Wonder Woman isn't a temple, but I mean, come on! Before the Wonder Woman movie came out. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of haters. There were yeah. a lot of people who were like, this <laughs> is not going to go that great. Yeah, like Wonder Woman's not that popular. Stick to the big ones. And it worked. And like they're talking about making a, a Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix directed by Todd Howard. Uh, they're talking about making a Supergirl movie now. There's something to it. And like Marvel is picking up on this too because of the success of not only something like Ant-Man or Guardians of the Galaxy, but not right now they're working on Captain Marvel. Like, they're starting to move away from the big ones. They're starting yes. to move towards, like, the obscure. And, like, maybe DC can find a sweet spot in there, yeah, right? I, I think that when you move into the lesser-known characters, you actually have more freedom yeah. to work with the character and the story. And there's it's like, again, I've said this, I think I said this last week, it's the Star Wars problem with, like, Batman and Superman. People expect so much from it that it's, it's hard to really do it right. But when you start with an unknown character or a lesser-known character, it's kind of a blank slate. Yeah, and we had a brilliant foil for that last week when we talked about Comic-Con trailers and we compared Shazam to Aquaman. Like, Shazam is, like, this exciting, new, like, I don't really know what it's about thing. Aquaman looks like the most generic CGI fest wrote DC yeah. film ever. Like, so so maybe trying to do something different is a good move for them. And, yeah. and maybe, just maybe, this whole Supergirl thing could work out. I mean, I'm not... I'd rather you get <laughs> Superman right before you move past, but if you're gonna do something different, like maybe this isn't such a bad way to go. Yeah, and so what what I like about Supergirl from a comics uh, perspective is that, you know, so she, in the lore, she gets off Krypton before it blows up as a teenager, and she arrives at Earth kind of as a teenager as well. Um, and so she's immature, and she has like the same powers as Superman, but not his like composure and his, his like compassion. And so in the comics, 
a lot of her issues are around that's actually anger management like learning not to be like a spoiled uh teen um and there's a lot of exciting things there uh in the more recent run she turned into a red lantern for a while because of her rage whoa like, really yeah that would have been sick yeah so there's there's a lot of potential there and i'm excited to see where it's going to go yeah you know one thing before i move on to the next story i did want to mention uh walking phoenix todd howard movie I don't know if we've talked. I think we talked about it on the show. A little but bit. It's been a minute since we've talked about it. It's still moving forward. They're still planning on doing it. Um, I, I think of the casting of, of Joaquin Phoenix as, as the Joker, and I think of like Todd Howard, the guy who did The Hangover directing it. And at first, I think, that's totally not going to work. How's that going to happen? And then I remember there's one other time in my life that I felt that way about the Joker. <laughs> and it turned out to be the greatest performance so far, uh, close to Jack Nicholson. Um, well, so I don't know, man. Like, maybe it'll work. And it's a smaller mid-level film. Like, that's... That's the kind of thing I can get excited about. Like the $50, $60 million budget, like give me a character piece right. on that. The other story we have for the show, MoviePass makes more changes, abandons price hike, and a new release, Blackout. The MoviePass saga continues. Andy, you mind filling me in on this? <laughs> so as we know, every day, if not every week, every uh, day. MoviePass uh changes uh their model and what they offer and what they don't offer and their restrictions and everything else in the kitchen sink so after last week saying uh they were going to raise the price to 15 dollars and have a two-week blackout on new releases and other restrictions price uh surging uh they they backpedaled on a lot of that so they're keeping the price the same at right at 10 bucks a month um but you only get to see three films and this is the big change because before you could kind of see unlimited or you couldn't at least see the f- same film twice. Um, so, I mean, there were people that were seeing like 15, 20 movies in a month. I mean, people really abusing the system. Um, but th- but they're limiting it to three movies and also doing away with the two-week blackout, which I think everyone would thought was a real bad idea, and also doing away with the price surging. Right. A lot of people have said that this is... Uh I mean, not necessarily flying in the face of who they are. I think we all know that. The whole idea of Movie Pass was as many movies as you want to see on the cheap. This is now three. A lot of people have said that the AMC competition that AMC set up is better than this. I was just pulling up notes on it. Do you happen to remember exactly what's in that? Um, I remember that that was 12 movies a month for $20 a month. And no no restrictions. You could uh, reserve online. You could reserve IMAX or 3D. Um so those those were the big things, the the online ticketing for sure. Right, that seems to be what's what's outlined here. Uh, double the price, quadruple the movies. Only at AMC though. Got to go there. You can't go anywhere else. Like That's with right. the movie pass. But AMC is the biggest chain in the country. AMC is the biggest chain in the country. Which, by the way, just wanted to real quick mention because I know we've talked about it before. I saw eighth grade first show Saturday morning. I know it's first show. Dude, my ticket was five dollars and eighty five cents. For any haters out there who are like movies are too expensive nowadays, they're not. They're really not. Like, yeah. just stop, stop just going cheap. with you and your girlfriend, and yeah, buying popcorn and God knows what. You're just cheap. Yeah. Anyway, uh, movie pass is changing yet again. Andy, being on a movie show, is it now or has it ever been a viable option for you? N- not for me. You know, I saw this really interesting graph that showed like who the, who they are trying to target and who they're not, and the frequent movie goer is not not their target. So you and I are definitely not. Uh, who because we're going to go see a lot of movies. Right. Um, they want someone who's going one, maybe two, two times a month, which is a lot for most people. For the average person, one movie a month is a lot. Yeah. I I, I think 
it's not an option for me either. And like, I, I know it's, it sounds goofy. Like when you do a movie podcast, you, you go see four movies a month. Like why wouldn't you want something like this? Because uh, yeah, it's exactly that. It's not made for me. I'm not going to buy concessions. Like, and I'm, I, I don't want to have to deal with getting on an app and figuring out when's a good time, especially in the case of movie pass. I don't want it to change, which it just seems to do. It's a pretty volatile platform. It still doesn't work for me. And maybe if they did something like this and stuck with it for a good long while and like it, it held out and it was a profitable model and there were articles that came out saying, hey, this actually works, I'd be more into it. And if I was completely surrounded by AMCs and I had an AMC four minutes from my place, not a Regal, maybe I'd be into AMC service. Both of them are just conditional enough to keep me not going. It's just enough of a hang up for me to say I'd rather just go the traditional route and pay my price. So I don't know. Yeah, it's been the same for me. It, like I may have been able to save 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there a month, but um, yeah, it changes so often. And I mean, there's also things like art house, like most art house uh, theaters won't ex- aren't accepting movie pass or any kind of subscription service. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd run them out off script. I, I mean, off script. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? Art house. That's art the house. word I was looking for. You said it two art, seconds ago. Art script. <laughs> art house theaters uh, wouldn't survive on a, on a model like that. It, they'd fall apart. They need those little individual purchases. They actually, you know, matters for them. If you have MoviePass, if you have AMC stubs, if you think we're crazy, uh, email us and let us know. Mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Right into the show, we'll read your review. I swear. We'll, we'll just, we'll read it right on the air. We'll just say it. Um, but we should move on to our first movie. Andy, you've generously agreed to take the su- summary for this. You want to you kick us off? Eighth grade. So eighth grade is Bo Burnham's, uh, the comedian, his de- directorial debut. Um, and the film is about the eighth grade and stars uh, a young girl named Kayla, played by Elsie Fisher. Um, who is in her last week of the eighth grade. And Kayla is very shy. She's very quiet, very self-conscious, um, doesn't really have a lot of friends. Uh, she lives at home with her dad, and uh, it's a single-parent household. Um, and she's, But she's trying. Like She, she knows that she's shy, she, and she's trying to, you know, be cool and get friends and you know she she has this little youtube channel that where she does videos uh like every other day and they're about confidence and just being yourself and all these kind of you know different different things um and so the movie's about her her kind of last week and you know it brings up a lot of the kind of cringy and uncomfortable parts of middle school but she also has some small triumphs and some small wins uh throughout that as well I, I want to start, I don't really know where the best place to start is with this movie. Would you rather start with uh, Bo Burnham and who he is and how he come, came to make this movie and like his background that inspired this movie? Or should we talk about the movie first and save the director for the end of the conversation? Let's talk about the movie first. Let's talk about the movie first. That makes sense. Uh, eighth grade, centered around this girl in her last week of eighth grade. It's about, it's just over 90 minutes, I think, which to me was perfect lengthwise uh because this movie uh in in the best way i could think to describe it was uncomfortably real yeah (laughs) yes it was uncomfortable for 90 minutes and there were parts where it was more uncomfortable and there were parts where it was less uncomfortable and like coming up in the end of the movie i almost felt a sense of relief like oh god it's almost over but not in the way that it's a bad movie and the way that it's like so emotionally raw it feels like it just it it feels so like oh god i know exactly how that feels you know like it it, it had a 
it's got an element of realness to it um, that not a whole lot of other movies have, and it's relatable in a way that most movies aren't. I, you know, Darkest Hour was beautifully shot and a great movie about Carol <laughs> Oldman playing Winston Churchill, but I can't relate to that, you know. But this, a girl in eighth grade, even if she's a generation removed from me, I could understand. Like, I got it. And, and I want to talk about why that is. Did you get that feeling? Yeah, definitely. It's incredibly authentic. Um, so, Elsie Fisher is or was the appropriate age. Like she had just graduated eighth grade whenever uh, they filmed the movie. So you don't get what you get in a lot of teen movies where the teenagers are like three or four years older than they're actually playing. So she's actually in eighth grade. And then they use kids from a real school. Like most of the kids there are just from the school where they shot it. Um, They're all eighth graders too. So they're not, they're using age appropriate actors. And also Elsie herself, um, or sorry, Kayla is i mean she's really kind of plain she's a little chubby you can tell she's real self-conscious about her body she's mm-hmm. got you know they don't cover her fa- her she's got really bad acne like they don't they don't cover it up it's just it's very real and, and very raw um but there's also such she has like i said there's lots of great moments as well because it could easily just be a two-hour cringe fest um which i was i was a little afraid of but I'm glad that it's not. All right, it's ninety minute cringe fest. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, it's 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 really good. Like it, it's cringy, but in a phenomenally positive way, I guess. Um, because there's certainly like there's something to take away from it. For for those of us who are older, I think there's an element of like nostalgia you can look back on and and feel better about, and maybe something you can get from your personal life, especially as outlined in the relationship with uh, or in, in Kayla's relationship with the people around her. Uh, other students, her relationship with with um, people who are a little older than her, the popular girls in school, uh, the hot guy who she's into, who is <laughs> who's a character. Uh, you'll you'll see what I mean. Um, especially with her dad, played by a guy named Mark Day, brilliantly mm-hmm. played. I thought uh, her dad is is wonderful. He's this incredibly supportive dad. It's Josh it, Hamilton, Mark Day. Oh, is, I'm is, sorry. Is, is, is the movie name. Mark Day is the name of his character. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's this incredibly supportive, uh, positive force in her life who, who is who is nothing but pulling for her always. Uh, and she completely ignores him and, yeah. <laughs> and hates him. And it was like, you're awkward and weird and stop being my dad and get out of my face. And it, yeah, that's one of those things. It's like it's it's painful to watch because like God, I remember that being that way with my parents. Yeah, and how did they put up with me when I was so obnoxious? And like, this movie's good for providing that level of of perspective. Um, the main, I think, kind of struggle of the movie revolves around uh, Kayla trying to get through her last week of school, sure, but also going to this pool party. Yeah, it's kind of the big thing, right? She gets sure. invited uh, to the most popular girl in schools birthday pool party by the girl's mom who knows her dad somehow and without having any friends that were going she decides to go and and, and gets on her youtube channel and makes this thing about confidence and being yourself and and goes to this pool party already i have something to say about kayla because she's doing something i would never have done like when i was <laughs> in school like i did not go somewhere if i didn't know somebody that was already there and and she's willing to kind of break out and be that person so despite like the acne and 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 the problems in her life and like her her issues of being quiet uh she she's got this level of like heart and confidence that's nothing short of admirable yeah and um uh, sorry one of the things that really jumps out out at me is that even though these are like adolescent awkward awkward kind of stages and situations 
I felt like I could really relate to them as an adult. Like a lot of these anxieties like don't really go away. Like I still no. don't like, I still don't like to go to things where I don't know anyone else. Yep. I still don't do that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much not a thing I do. And I, I liked that. Not only do we get to, to share these, these like these victories with Kayla, these moments that are like, you know, good, but also like are, are genuinely terrifying in some cases, which uh, the score beautifully orchestrates the, the score. I wanted to mention this woman by name because I liked it so much. A woman named Anna Meredith, who's done like one other movie and it was awesome. It's like this electronic funk kind yeah. of bass score. It reminded me oddly of like Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange in a weird okay. way. I got a vibe from it. Um, it does a great job of conveying emotion. It does. And, and it also is... is almost entirely like technical i don't think there's any actual like real instruments and it's all electronic sound right. and and that is present for the other part of this movie that we should really dig into uh, the social media yes the internet the internet is huge in this movie right it is like it, i mean it's, it's it's practically a setting all the kids have phones they all have instagram yep. they all have they're yeah. all on instagram it is a talking point with all of them what's on insta you are on snapchat blah 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 like, and there's this moment in this movie when Kayla, like very early on, we're still figuring out what she's about. Like the movie almost, oh, it opens with a YouTube video of her, but immediately like the first we really get of, of the world in which she's in is her phone going off as an alarm in the morning and like rolling over and like checking it. And then like that day when she gets home from school, there's, there's, she's sitting at the dinner table and she's on her phone and like listening to music and like scrolling through yeah. stuff. And then that evening after dinner, she goes upstairs to her room. She turns off all the lights, gets her laptop just on the internet for three hours. Like, yeah. And music's playing and like living the dream. <laughs> it's so like present and it's tough for me to watch because I watch it and I'm like, oh my God, like I do that sometimes, you know, I just, I'm on my phone doing just mindless, just scrolling. And like, that's so much a part of this movie and like time spent just looking at stupid memes and like <laughs> yeah. liking people's videos and stuff. I love how much that it is in the present because I feel, you know, I'm reminded of a couple of other coming of age stories that we've had over the last year. Um, Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name takes place in the 80s. Yeah. And so it's nice to have a coming of age story that's actually in the here and now. And even though that the technology is different and things like social media, a whole lot of other things are not. Right. You know, like the, the whole the hierarchy between students and like the popular kids and not popular kids and the nerds and like those anxieties, like those are still universal no matter what age. And like I said, th I juxtapose this against the the, the Jonah Hill trash mid 90s mid -90s. <laughs> that um, is, you know, trying to tap into that uh, nostalgia button. I love that we haven't even seen it. And we're already like, yeah, this movie. watch it be the greatest thing. <laughs> I liked the trailer when it first came out and then I watched it again for the show and the second time around like, nah, not for me. Anyway. Uh, and I like the way that a lot of the adults in the movie, like, try to connect with kids, especially the teachers. The oh, staff. my gosh. <laughs> oh, they, they make the dumbest. It's so funny. Yeah, the principal will, like, dab when he comes to a room, and it's the most awkward, like, and, like, man, I don't, I've don't. i never dabbed in my life, and I'm not going to try because <laughs> I will look like a dope. Like, it's not. And then there's another bit where they're watching a video, and, and this woman's like, it's going to be lit. Like, just the most, like, awkward and it's funny looking at it now because we're adults and we can laugh at the other adults doing it. But, like, for kids in the moment, man, that, it, of course it's stupid. Like, you roll your eyes. I remember when we kid, you know, parents try to do stuff for that, like that for us when we were kids. And, like, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. read. And, like, that just, there's so much of this just awkward, jilted, 
stage play of a, of a school experience that like Bo Burnham so wonderfully flushes out in this movie. Yeah. They, that also reminds me there's very modern things like they, they have a drill for a school shooter. They have a school shooter. Like chilling, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it's it's very and I mean all the kids are just like whatever. It's like standard practice. And yep. It's you know, a product of their time. And they have the <laughs> you know, the drama kids are are like playing, you know, victims <laughs> to get <Playing> victims. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh. But it's that's one of the things it's really funny, but also, you know, really kind of um makes you stop and think about like the times we're living in. Sure. And and there's a great there's a great bit with the the hot guy at school she's into who who at one point they're in a they're in a school shooting drill and she says you know you don't look you don't look concerned he's like oh no i'm not because if something you know if something happened I'd, I'd i'd mess the guy up <laughs> yeah and i'm I'd like take god that was me in school i'm just like well i'd be fine like i, I i'd take him out yeah i'd drop kick him or something school like <laughs> it's just so like it just taps into so like this child at heart yeah bit that like is so well done and i think that's Probably a fair fair point to segue into Mr. Burnham and where this movie comes from. It was written directed by the same guy, Bo Burnham. He is twenty seven years old. Uh, he's he's oh, wow. not yeah not particularly about our age and uh, he, about your age, my age, <laughs> one year older than me actually. And and he put this whole thing together. He is traditionally a stand up comedian. He got his start in YouTube making goofy music. Uh, he stopped doing stand-up. He's got two specials on Netflix, What and Make Happy. He stopped doing stand-up after Make Happy because of his uncontrollable panic attacks. Couldn't go on stage. But oh, wow. He he is a very self-centric like dude. He is not an outgoing guy. And his comedy is, is like where all of that stems from. He's, he's an incredibly creative individual. And this, like I think, so well underlines that, like that person who he is, because it's like clearly... He had a very similar experience to Kayla, I think, uh, in school. And, like, he really, yeah, maintains that that child at heart aesthetic of, of being able to say, you know, kids are valid and they have feelings that are just as big as our feelings as adults, even if we don't feel that way anymore. Like, even if it's not that important to them, like, it's their whole world, you know, like a, a, this little thing that you would brush off or, or Kayla's dad in the movie would brush off. It's just some little event to them, like you know looking stupid when you go out to your with your friends at the mall or like saying something dumb in class like is is crushing like and that's the it's just so well like put to film i've seen articles come out have, have come out since this movie came out that said this is the first movie that captures the youth of today in the past decade or something right. and i i don't know about that because i'm not a youth of today but um man he really does a great job of of taking taking us on a ride for 90 minutes through what would otherwise be a very mundane story about a girl in school. Right. And it, it could have been an all out comedy as well. It could have been like a Kevin Hart style, just like, you know, crin cringy thing after cringy thing, after embarrassing thing after, I mean, the whole movie could have been that and right. it, it could have been just, just all laughs, but he really <laughs> taps into like some real things. And there are also, I want to touch on this. There's some really heavy scenes and there's, um, you know, at one point it goes in a direction I did not expect, um, and it's probably one of the most uncomfortable situations I've been in, in film in, in a while. Like I, I saw people commenting that like they haven't been this uncomfortable since hereditary. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. And it's a shame. Cause I know the scene you're talking about and in an interview, Bo Burnham had something to say about it. And I'd love to talk about it, but I worry it might be too yeah. spoilery for the show. It might so be. yeah. Um, but it, it, it's well put together for what it is. Like, and you, if you watch the movie, you'll know it when you see it. Um, 
it, I, it definitely does hang on to while well, this movie is a drama i'd say right that yeah one, yeah they definitely do hang on to like elements of comedy there's there's some great bits in here there's yeah. there's one very bo burnham-esque uh there's one uh, during the school the school shooting drill thing when it, when a teacher is very calmly walking down the hall dressed like a terrorist uh, w- with a fake AK sh- shooting at drama kids saying, bang, you're dead, bang, you're dead. The camera pans back and there's all these kids against the lockers and there's one kid in the front row holding up his hand like with a fake pistol <laughs> yeah. clock, just click, 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 just aiming straight at the dude's head. <laughs> LeBron James? Yeah, it is the goofiest, like... It's great. So, like, there's definitely, like, that Bo Burnham comedy comes through, but, like, also that punch of, like, emotion is very present. I, I did want to mention, before I move on, I don't know if you're about done. But, no, go ahead. Uh, the cinematography, it's not great. It's good. It, it's good. But, like, it, it, I felt like it was a, a sticking point for me in the movie. At first, I liked it because a lot of stuff is shot, like, almost extreme close-up. Not quite hereditary close-up. Right. But, like, but like very close to people's faces, very low to the ground. And at first I was like, well, that feels good because it, you feel, you know, when you feel low to the ground, you feel like people are talking down to you in the same way Kayla feels like adults are talking down to her or the wor- the weight of the world is bearing down on her. I get that. There's a lot of like walking behind Kayla shots where you get her, you know, her hair falling down behind her long, very adolescent hair, uh, is very standard, I think, for eighth grade. Um but I, I don't know. I felt like there were some holes in it, a lot, a lot of handheld. And, and I went looking after, and I probably shouldn't have done this. The cinematographer for this movie is, is, is Andrew Weed, Weedy, I think, uh, who is the cinematographer for both of Bo Burnham's Netflix specials. And he's oh, okay. done almost exclusively comedy shows right. before this. So that would explain where that comes from. It's not bad, but like it's worth noting. Like he just hired the guy who had done his two specials mm-hmm. to do this, so it's fine. I did want to mention uh, one last scene uh, mm-hmm. because I I was uh, I watched an interview about this. Uh, so there's a short uh, band scene where they have like a little you know school band um, playing, and you know they sound like a school band. Oh, it's sounds. great. Yeah. Um, that's, it so, that's that comedy. Yeah. yeah, it takes me back. But um, the funny thing is that the band director has this like three foot long rat tail. It's in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that guy is actually the band director of that school. <laughs> like, oh, they, really? Like that wasn't a wig. That wasn't. That's how that guy. And they, I think they told him they're like, man, we got to get you on camera. Um, and so he, when he came in, he came in with like a white shirt to make sure you could see his dark brown rat tail. Right. Oh, man. And it is literally front and center stage of that scene. It's yeah. one very long zoom out shot, which looks great. Uh, yeah, and he is in the middle of it. It starts on that rat tail. Like, it's just the goofy. And you never see, even see the guy's face. That's no. it. Like, it that's might be all the greatest get. rat tail in cinema history. It's, it's <laughs> down to his waist. Uh, something we probably should have talked about in news, and I forgot about this until uh, just now. This film has an R rating. Yes. Uh, hard R. Put out by A24 and and... Mr. Burnham was not a fan of this, and I, I get why it's got it. It's a lot of cursing, um, but really, like, it almost doesn't. It's arguably PG thirteen. Like, it's it yeah, toes the it's line. About, it's about middle school kids. It should be. It should be PG-13. able to be seen by yeah. middle school kids. I, I I don't think there's a single thing in here where middle school kids would think, "Oh my god, that's so heinous." Like, no, I think they would think it's fine. No. Yeah, that that is completely reasonable by them. And I did but, actually see that he was. I think going to be doing free screenings That's exactly what so I was that, talk about yeah yeah uh they announced this wednesday uh coming up just in two days actually from from when we're recording and putting this out 
that they are doing free nationwide screenings at select theaters. You can go at no cost, and because the theater's not making money, they do not look at who how old you are. So any age can go in, and they're cool with it. That's great. It's interesting. Yeah, it's neat. I mean, I'm glad, but at the same time, like I didn't even know you could get away with that in movies. Yeah, me neither. Um, but hey, good for you, I guess. Yeah, the, the 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 more the better. I appreciate that he just he seems to want people to go see it, not only for himself, I mean, of course, but also because it's like it seems like a story that's very close to him. So yeah, I appreciate that. Um, following this, supposedly he said in interviews he wants to get back on the stand up circuit. He's like, I feel good okay. about doing it again. So. Hopefully he puts out another special. Uh, have you seen his other ones? No. Make Happy and White. You should check him out. So was he in, in The Big Sick as well? He was. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. And I do wonder if he was actually in Kumal Nanjani's life for The Big Sick or if he right. was just a stand-in <laughs> for another comedian. I don't know. But either way, um, you should check them out. They're good specials. If you're listening, you should also check them out. What and Make Happy. Anyway, Andy, any other thoughts? I'm ready to go. Would you recommend 8th Grade? Uh, absolutely. It's sweet. It's endearing. It's, it's really funny. That, that's why we've been talking about the, all the drama stuff. It's really funny. It's very like, funny. It's got a, a lot of really great laughs. Um, and it's, you know, it also has some serious bits that are very relevant and uh, like in things we're dealing with societally today. Yeah. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. It's totally worth your time. I saw somebody say in a Reddit thread, and I, I hate to say I'm inclined to agree with this and I probably shouldn't include this in my review, but here I am. They said, this movie is one of those movies you watch once and you go, that was great. And you don't watch it again. And I'm like, that's how I feel because I liked it. I liked it a lot. And if somebody wants to watch it with me, I will. But like, I feel like most movies it are like almost that, hurt, man. Well, maybe on this show. Uh, that's that's <laughs> how bold, bold cinema is. Uh, I it almost hurt me to watch some scenes in this. Just like, oh, God, like it's so especially that bit you're talking about. That's it's very uh, it takes a turn in a way you yeah. would expect. It's rough, man. Like it is a bumpy ride yeah. and, and it's good. And I'm glad I watched it. It's like it. it's PTSD for people going a little <laughs> that bit. Had a yeah, rough eighth grade. Like, I, it was good. But like, man, yeah, eighth, eighth grade was rough for some of us. But either way, it is it is really a treat to watch eighth grade is totally worth the price of admission please check it out um you know support smaller cinema this is a cheap movie too it's a low budget film yeah yeah this is not a big release wasn't even supposed to be national and here we are anyway uh we should move on to our next segment this isn't really the death of cinema is it this is not really what that is uh we're just going to recap some movies if i'll put music there we'll figure it out <laughs> uh, so first i want to talk about what we saw this was from the beginning of may to now all right the first week of august uh right before this uh may we had talked about here's what's coming out here's what we want to see now that we've come and done that we're on the other side of that fence we want to talk about what we saw uh maybe some last minute thoughts things we missed um, so let's just roll down the list of things we saw that were new from May to now. Here it is. I'm just going to rattle them off real fast. Infinity War, You Were Never Really Here, Disobedience, Deadpool 2, Fahrenheit 451, Ocean's 8, Solo, A Star Wars Story, Hereditary, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Sicario 2, Assassin Boogaloo, Won't You Be My Neighbor, <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Mission Impossible, Fallout. Sicario, Day of the Soldado, <laughs> that's the name of that second one. Sorry. Well done, Andy. Uh, so that's what we saw. Some things we missed that I just wanted to go over because there's, you know, we can't see everything on this show. That's right. And I want to see if Andy, you had any thoughts on these. Uh, first, Tully, 
by uh, Jason Reitman. It's the Charlize Theron film. Yes. Charlize Theron. So I've I've uh, heard a lot about this. It apparently gets really wacky and like surreal in the third act. Um, so that that's a completely different kind of movie than what I thought it was going to be. So I'm kind of interested. You know, if it shows up on Netflix, I might want to check it out. I did not see a single trailer for that movie. I saw a poster and that was about it. I, I never saw anything for I, it. I saw a trailer and just did not look very appealing. Yeah, I just didn't know anything about it, so I wanted to skip it. <laughs> Life of the Party with Melissa McCarthy. Oh, Man, yeah. I, I was real tempted to go see Mom Goes to College <laughs> with the Kid again, but like I couldn't bring myself to go we see We hard Mom. passed that so fast. So fast. Uh, I wanted to go see... Well, we saw Deadpool too, so we were good there. Um, I want to mention First Reformed, um, which is a drama written by Par Paul Schrader. That guy that came out in May. Yeah, you're right. Um, well, it, it's the release dates are weird, it, but it stars Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried, and it deals with Ethan Hawke is kind of a, a pastor who is losing his faith or lo losing his faith in humanity or something like that. And I've heard several reviews that it's just awesome and that it's, it's heavy, but it's really good. And it's uh, Paul Trader who I think uh, directed the exorcist or uh, not, not directed uh, wrote the exorcist. That's what it was. Um, but I've just heard a lot of really good stuff about it. And I remember seeing it some screenings, but I just didn't get around to it. Uh, I did want to see that. It came out the same week as Deadpool 2. I thought that hadn't come out yet. I was looking forward to talking about that on the show. It shows how informed I am. Uh, I did want to see, and I know you don't care, and it's that's cool. Uh, I did kind of <laughs> want to see Action Point with Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> right, and that's right. that's the very, I mean, that's the same part of me that likes the Jackass films. Like, that's just a very, like, base... What I felt bad Dude, about that, like, like stupid movie. <laughs> I saw an article where he had like gotten a lot of injuries from that movie. And a lot the, of injuries, and then the movie completely bombed. Oh, totally. <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't even like worth like your body. I mean, it like, wasn't. Injury. Yeah, it wasn't even from the guys who made Jackass. It was like just a knockoff Jackass movie. That same weekend, though, also missed a drift. Which was a big one uh, with uh, what was her name? Uh, oh, Shailene Woodley. God, Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin upgrade. The new Lee, Lee Wannell movie who played Adam and saw the first one oh, wow. and helped write those movies. That was the movie about uh, is the low-budget sci-fi horror about the guy who gets a chip in his spinal cord or something. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, which he I heard Kung Fu had okay action. And the other one that I think was maybe the highlight of the summer that we missed, the one we really wanted to catch, was American Animals. Right. The heist movie. The heist movie. Yeah. What did we go see that weekend? I think we actually, we were going to see American Animals and then it wasn't playing anywhere. It That's was like right. limited release. Right. Yeah, you know, you're totally, you're totally right. Yeah, we couldn't get to go see it anywhere. Uh, that next weekend, we missed Hotel Artemis, which we talked about on the show. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. I, I kind of wanted to check that out. I didn't see any, any screenings, for, you know, showing for it. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't really either. We also missed this movie uh, called Superfly. That had not been on my radar at all. I didn't know anything about it, but I started seeing like ads for it, yeah, and movie same. posters, and in, in theaters. And I was I was a little bummed because it looked kind of neat from far away, but I didn't get a good look at it. Tag was middle of June. <laughs> Heard it was real bad. Not disappointed. I missed that. Am disappointed that Jeremy Renner broke both of his arms. Hoping that that's the reason Jeremy Renner was not in Mission Impossible Fallout, not because it was written out. Um, Got anything else? I think that about covers it for. No, there was uh, on Chesil Beach, which is another Saoirse Ronan. Uh, Irish drama, <laughs> right? Which I feel like she has to. She's obligated to do two of those a, a year. We missed at the beginning of July. We missed. Sorry to bother you. I did want to see that movie, so I I might catch that when it comes back around. I assume something like HBO or Amazon Prime will pick it pick it up. Yeah, because that actually looked like a real 
real neat movie. We missed uh, just just recently. Don't worry, he won't get far on foot by Gus Van Sant. Yeah, yeah, that looked real odd, but interesting. Uh, definitely odd. We also missed Skyscraper. Bummer. Man, did you hear anything good about that movie? I mean, I I heard that if anyone can pull it off, it's The Rock. <laughs> like it. It was a, and some people think maybe we're getting uh, rock saturation because mm-hmm. he does uh, has a new movie coming out every other week. Right. Um, so maybe we missed some big stuff in July. Uh, we missed Mamma Mia too. No, we missed. No, we didn't. <laughs> we missed. <laughs> people ask me why we didn't go see that movie. They're like, "Why didn't you see that on your show?" I'm like, "I, <sighs> I don't know." I, because we looked at it, we were just like, you know, I what? didn't see the first I one. See, I yeah, that's okay. That's the excuse. <laughs> we didn't see the first one. That's what it is. We also missed the Equalizer too. I really didn't. I didn't see the first one of that either. Yeah, we missed Unfriended Dark Web uh, by Bloomhouse because. Dude, I could. I I couldn't I, sit through the trailer for that movie. I got on my phone during the trailer. That's where I was for Unfriended Dark Web. So the, there's another movie that also takes place completely on a computer screen, and like I look at a computer screen screen all day for work, so I don't want to go see a movie that takes place only on a computer. But screen. But it's relatable, Andy. Come is on, it, yeah. Is you're it, supposed to be able to. We miss Teen Titans go to the movies, um, which I am, am a little bit of a Teen Titans fan, so I would have gone mm-hmm. see that. I don't think you, you'd care about that at all. And that just about wraps the summer. So there's some stuff we missed, man. But there's also some stuff we hit that was good, uh, and, and I wanted to talk about that. Things, things we caught that you particularly enjoyed or maybe didn't. So let's start there. Looking at the summer movies that we did see, which I rolled through at the beginning of the list, uh, any favorites? Anything on that you thought, man, was just killer? Yeah, I mean, Infinity War kicked it off and was uh, was not arguably was the biggest movie of the summer. Yep, um, kicked off some great memes uh, that we're still <laughs> using to this day. Quality memes. Um, but yeah, you know, it it we got to see the culmination of ten years of Marvel movies. Uh, we saw all our heroes on on not on stage on screen. And you know, and there's obviously more to come. So that that's that's a pretty big deal. I enjoyed it. I'm not head over heels about it, but you know, it it did what it promised it would do. It was undeniably a blockbuster picture, and everybody was stoked about Infinity War this year. 2018 was the year of Infinity War. Like that was a big yeah. deal. I I also uh, honorable mention for Deadpool too. Like solid superhero flick. Uh, I I saw it twice. Saying a lot, man. I don't, I don't uh-huh. go see movies twice when I do a movie. Sh- when we do a movie show, and we see two movies a week. But Deadpool too, like it, it, it stuck around. And honestly, I think I enjoyed it more the second time than the first. So, I think for me, um, Hereditary was also a, a highlight. Um, it, it looked scary for a long time, and I know some people. It's, it's been really divisive for audiences, but man, it really scared me. It really like freaked me out, and I was like tense the whole night and into the next day. Um, so that that really stood up for me. And um, Ari Aster is, was the director, and he's already started his next pro- project, which is also a horror movie. I mentioned this last week off the show, but I had a, a friend, a good friend, uh, up in up in Michigan when I was up there tell me, oh, have you seen that movie Hereditary? I heard it was the scariest movie of all time. And I'm like, I'm almost bummed you, know, you think that going in. Because, like, I didn't know anything going into Hereditary. And the less you know, the better. Like, the trailers right. are specifically designed that way to, to kind of throw you off. So when you have friends that tell you all about it, like, that's great. But at the same time, like, your expectations are, are up in a way that they almost shouldn't be. Like, that's part of the fun of Hereditary is not really knowing. Um, I did want to mention, because it was weird to see you skipped over it. You were never really here. You were into that movie. I kind of oh, wasn't. Yeah, that, yeah that's, but you were, that's right. Well, I was looking at the the dramas and trying to see what was going to 
yeah uh lynn ramsey's you were never really here which is a walking phoenix uh violence vehicle um great medica- meditation and character study not really summer blockbuster material but the summer is when it came out um no it was really good stuff same thing with disobedience which is um also on the on the list man i i don't know if there was something in the water but like i i adored disobedience i thought that movie was so cool like that that's it's probably on a it's probably going on like a top five list for me at the end of the year like unless something really cool knocks it out i thought disobedience was so neat and that comes out on x and amazon prime later this month right it's prime is a prime studios film so that's where that came from and that's uh rachel vice and rachel mcadams honorable uh, drama (laughs) yes honorable mention for solo you weren't so much a fan yeah, I was it was all right it. it was horribly lit but it's fine so um, dark yeah that's right it was so dark i, I did want to mention won't you be my neighbor great enjoy yeah it. real positive yeah something we kind of need in this time i don't want to say there's anything else i want to mention on here. <laughs> there is i will <laughs> go for it i please. will the greater the suffering the greater the, greater the, peace. the peace mission uh, impossible mission, fallout. that's right um i've always been a huge fan of the mission impossible series um, and the action is great. It's over the, the top. You get all your favorite uh, Mission Impossible kind of idiosyncrasies. Um, you know, some people keep calling this um, Tom Cruise's Swan Lake. Like, this is his magnum opus what? Of, of action. Who said that? I've heard it. I've, uh, I've heard it on some show, on some all review right. shows. Okay. His magnum opus is Swan Lake. Yeah, but, but of action. Like it's like they're like the next step is he's just going to die on set. He doesn't even take his shirt off. Come on. He can do better. But I guess I guess you're right. I did. You know, one I'm on here looking at it now. Ocean's 8. Just solid acting in that movie all around. Yeah. Everybody was good in Ocean's 8. Like just really well directed, really well put together. Really enjoyed it. The other ones that we didn't, you know, I mentioned before that we didn't really have anything to say about, not to slight them or anything, Fahrenheit 451, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Sicario 2, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. They're okay. They're yeah. not bad. Yeah. I enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp. I enjoyed Incredibles. Yeah. As you know, it's okay. I, I think I like the first Incredibles a lot better, but some people are the opposite. Some people think I've enjoyed the second one better than the first. The bottom of the list, if you had to pick. Bottom of the barrel. What worst of the least worst. Favorite? Um, I'm not sure if this counts. Fahrenheit 451, but that's HBO streaming and a, essentially direct-to-video right. film. Uh, kind of missed the mark. As far as these big releases, you, um, you know the one. What? Oh yeah, Jurassic World. <laughs> Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. Oh, it was that, bad. That I can. Uh, uh, we've seen a lot of stuff this in the last eight months, and that yeah. is the worst film that we have seen all year. It's arguably the worst we've ever done on this show. Like, it, yeah, it's so bad. It's so bad. The it, first, it, the first third, it's like okay, and then the second two thirds, which is like a solid two hours, is just incredibly boring. I'm yeah. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom like almost got me excited to go back and watch Jurassic World because I'd have a newfound appreciation for the first one. Yeah. Like, even though I didn't like the first one at first, I'd be like, well, at least it's not as bad as Yeah, this. it looks like Citizen Kane. Yeah, it really does. I, I It's stunningly bad. Anyway, anything else for summer movies? No, it was it was good. It was, you know, it's hot. We live in Texas. It's sure. great to get out of the heat and uh, into the cinema and as well as all the, the things we saw on streaming. Um, so, yeah, I'm... I'm kind of sad the summer summer blockbuster season is over but uh it'll be here again next year i know and 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 i think as a, a footnote for it all around just some solid entries we had some good old-fashioned marvel and ant-man and the wasp and infinity war we had star wars we had heist films we had funny postmodern superhero movies yeah, sometimes you don't get anything sometimes i know the whole summer is bad yeah we we had we had cutting documentaries we had intriguing like 
A24-esque films and Disobedience and You Were Never Really Here. It, man, it was pretty good. It's pretty good summer. Like, summer 2018, not too shabby. I gotta be honest. So, well done. Disney made a billion dollars. And with that, we should probably move on to the last movie of today's show. Spike Jonze's 2013 film, Her. I'm lying on the moon. Her is the story of Theodore Twombly, played by Joaquin Phoenix, a lonely writer in the year 2077 who has a fancy apartment downtown in some unnamed city where he is uh, working at, God, what's the name of, uh, of the place he works? Like BeautifulHandwrittenCards.com, hand- yeah, I think is exactly like that, yeah. what it is. Yeah, uh, and he, in, in the wake of, of, of leaving his, his past relationship, he, he stumbles onto a artificial intelligence-driven operating system uh, named Samantha, who he finds uh, and, and forms an unlikely relationship with. Mm-hmm. It's the best way to cover her. Uh, it is a little over two hours long. Her is a uh, visually beautiful film. It is, yes. <laughs> I mean, undeniably beautiful looking film. Uh, and it is, it's it's certainly a story. It, it reminds me of something I might read as like a short story in college, uh, but, but it's fleshed out more and pulled out to a full like two hour cut. There's a lot of interesting trivia behind how this movie was made. And I want to talk about it. But first off, Andy, what did you think of Her? Um, so I really liked it. I remember seeing this in the theater and at the time, you know, it was the whole point of the movie is it's about the disconnect, uh, that we have in our time that, that we, even though we live in the digital age, we are still very much craving human connection and struggling to find it. Um, but overall, I really liked the movie. It's like you said, it's beautifully shot. It, it, weirdly looks like the 60s but also futuristic at the same time and it's every everything's colored in these like pastels um these lighter colors great score um really it's really heartbreaking in a lot of it and really like uncomfortable a little cringy um because you know it's a man who falls in love with his computer and who he does this because he, he has he struggles so much to form bonds with uh human women mm-hmm uh, he is in the final stages of divorce. Yes. He's been away from his wife for uh, a year. They don't live together, but they are still married, um, which is certainly a, at least a point of conversation in the movie, if not a point of, of, of conflict for the main character. Um, he He's an odd guy. He stays at home. He plays video games. He, jo- he goes to his job and he comes back. He doesn't really have a whole lot of relationships in his life. He's got a couple of friends, but other than that, that's kind of him, and he decides to just buy this OS one day. This 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 hot new thing, and and he begins to form this like really close relationship with it, if only because it it is simply willing to Samantha, played brilliantly by Scarlett Johansson, is willing to just ask him about his life and follow up on things. Hey, how are you doing today? How's things? Yeah, like, and it's interesting how this movie kind of under underlines like how important little things like that are just little conversation something being opening and being open and listening to you is sometimes enough for you to feel like you have a very very real relationship with something even if they're not all that real which is a point of contention yeah uh, that, that comes up in this movie on more than one occasion uh how how do you have how do you how do you fall in love with something that cannot love right uh right an artificially intelligent os which this movie 
kind of toes at. It doesn't really stamp on that argument or, or like stumble onto that argument um, because it never really, you never get a, a really good look at Samantha. It, it's always from like Teddy as, he, as he's known in the movie. It's always from his perspective. Yeah. It's always talking to him. It's never like, here's inside the mind of the computer. Like, you never get that. Like, it's it's strictly from the consumer side of things. So it keeps things really centered around him, hence the poster for the film, which is just his face. Uh, I, I have more, but I feel like I'm talking too much. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, uh, there's so much. Uh, one of the things that I um, that really stood out to me is there's uh, there's three interactions that, that Teddy has with um, women other that other than Amy Adams who's who's uh, in it brilliantly who's his friend um, he goes on a date he meets his wife to finalize their divorce Same and Rooney Mara yeah, yeah. and then uh, there's a third interaction involving that kind of involves a relationship he has with his OS and this other woman and they're all three disasters <laughs> yeah and and it's it just highlights to me like how much how much we crave human connection but also how difficult it is to do and not screw it up right which is mentioned by Rooney Mara's character in one, in one moment when she says something about having a relationship with his laptop instead of a real person but that is a thing in in this alternate universe of, of 2077 um, it is not weird for people to have relationships with their OS. It is yeah, everybody's widely doing accepted. it. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, there there are characters in this movie who hear he has a relationship with his OS and literally do not blink at it. Like in the scene, they don't blink. Like it is it is odd how how normal it is in in this universe, which is kind of kind of leads up to the end of the film. There's this kind of establishing shot at the end of the movie that kind of leaves this lingering note about that, but. Uh, I, I did think it was odd in this movie about the future that while relationships seem hard to come by, there's a stark lack of social media in this movie. Right. As greatly opposed to our other film, Eighth Grade, where it is clear and ever-present. Um, it is not a thing. In in Spike Jones's 2077, social media does not exist. It, at least it died to death somewhere between now yeah. and then. So it's it's weird. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because a it's probably easier to deal without it. Right. I, I would argue it's because a character like Teddy and, and a world like this just functions better without it. Like it it, it brings yeah. up a lot of problems. But I did want to talk about um, the look of the movie. I know you mentioned it before. A lot of pastels, a lot of colors. Uh, the movie was shot by a guy named Hoyt Van Hoytima, who, if you don't know, immediately followed this movie with 2014's Interstellar, and then he did Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. This guy makes movies, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that should speak towards the look of this movie. Like, this movie is gorgeous. It just looks good. Uh, one of the one of the bits of trivia I wanted to mention in here, uh, Teddy's apartment, which is downtown, which was the movie was primarily shot in Shanghai. If you look in the backgrounds of some scenes, you can actually see Chinese yeah. characters. On, so it's on supposed signs. to look like LA though, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be like California, but again, 2077. Exactly. Really, yeah. Um, his apartment is just like all windows and it's there's so much like sunlight in it when it's daytime, which happens later in the movie. It starts off and it's pretty dark because he's in a dark place. Um, I thought it was really cool for this movie. Uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema went across to a building across the way and mounted a giant wall of mirrors on a helicopter panel to blast sunlight into that apartment to get it to look as sunny as possible. Wow. That's the kind of commitment they were going to, to get this movie to look the way it does. Like, and it shows. It works. Like The movie is gorgeous. And, and something that 
I wanted to mention there's an awful lot of flashback in this movie with n- almost no dialogue. There's an right. awful lot of flashback, flashback to moments in, in, in Teddy's life with his wife, uh, moments of loneliness, moments of happiness, and almost none of it has dialogue. They shot all of this B-roll. Like, it must have been hours of B-roll. Yeah. And it's just get little flash moments of memory in here, and it really helps to cement, like, the reality of it because I feel like it, it's, it's true to life. It's how a lot of us remember things. Yeah, I mean those parts are particularly uh, a little painful because they tend to come up like when he's on his date or when he's him and Samantha are first kind of talking about being in their relationships. He keeps like flashing back to um, his relationship with Rooney Mara. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's real painful because you, you can empathize with the character who's still kind of healing and recovering from the breakup. I did wonder when I started watching this movie, because I I started it before, but I didn't get too far into it. I, I stopped at some point, like in the middle of the first act, like didn't get very far. And watching this this time, I thought, you know, am I going to be convinced here? Because I mean, I used to work in IT. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not convinced by like computer AI stuff. Like, how, how convinced am I going to be that this is this is real? And and then I remembered that I had seen another movie last year with an unrealistic relationship called The Shape of Water. And I figured, you know what? If I can get sold <laughs> by The Shape man. of Water, I I I can I can float a computer AI. And and the relationship between Teddy. And Samantha uh, is, is is brilliantly played. My only my only real hang up here is, is is there are some moments in it where it feels a little jilted. The way she says something or the way he reacts feels awkward. Which he's an awkward dude. I think that's part of the point. Yeah. But I thought that might be due to um, just like last week's view for vendetta, some voiceover issue. Which it turns out it may be um, when they made this movie. Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Adams uh, spent an awful lot of time together. Spike Jones made them hang out like for hours at a time. He would literally lock them in a room sometimes and be like, you guys just hang out because he wanted them to feel like real friends in the movie. Right. Like, he wanted them to feel like legit. And for the most part, they do. I yeah. think. Yeah, they don't, they don't feel too far off. But the other person he stuck Joaquin Phoenix with was the woman who originally was cast as Samantha, a woman named Samantha Morton. It's worth mentioning. In this movie, Amy Adams' character is named Amy, and the Samantha character is named Samantha after Samantha Morton. They're specifically named after their character, after right. the pe- like the people that play them. Um, and he had Samantha Morton on set every day with Joaquin Phoenix, reading off 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 camera. Right, like so that all came through, and they did voiceover, and and somewhere along the way in the editing process, which I also want to talk about, he just decided like it just doesn't work. Like her read doesn't quite. So they recast her with Scarlett Johansson. She was cool with it. It wasn't like a whole how to do, but there are some moments while Scarlett Johansson's VO is brilliant in this movie. There are a few moments to me that I was just like, that doesn't feel, he's not reacting the right way or that doesn't feel quite right. And I think that's only because of like the after effect voiceover of it. Right. Yeah. Um, I also wanted just for a second to talk about the writing and editing of the movie. This movie was written by Spike Jones and he had a couple friends write it with him. It also the script also got a passed over by Charlie Kaufman, which I thought was really neat yeah. and somehow fits. Charlie Kaufman, the man who wrote Adaptation, uh, Anomalisa, and there's another big one, uh, being John Malkovich, yeah. Synecdoche, yeah. New York. Synecdoche, New York. Yeah, odd guy. Uh, not a surprise he got a pass at this, and he's uncredited in it. But supposedly that is a thing, according to. My trivia, IMDb, I'll be honest, my IMDb <laughs> trivia sources. Your deep research. And last week I had mentioned that this movie had a funny editing story uh, in the way it was edited, and I figured it out, got to the bottom of it. Thank you, IMDb. Uh, originally, Spike Jones shot this movie, and he didn't. He, he couldn't figure out a good edit, and he cut like a 180-minute cut. 
real long, wow. right? Three hours. And he didn't know what to do with it. So he sent it to, of all people, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, and he said, I don't know how to cut this movie. What do you got? And Steven Soderbergh was like, let me take a crack at it. In one day, Steven Soderbergh sends back a 90-minute cut. Like, there's your movie. Done. Uh, and then Spike Jones took that and built the 150-minute cut we have now. Right. Just over, I mean, t- two hours and change. Um, I got to be honest. I, I don't know if that's to its favor. Like this movie, might, I mean, it might have been a little long in the tooth. What did you think? Um, the length didn't bother me. No, but it. But if if it had wrapped up sooner, I wouldn't have been upset. If that makes any sense. So yeah. it just, yeah, because you told me that before I rewatched it. I was trying to remember um, my impression, but yeah, I didn't. It didn't feel too long to me. Right. I think it's worth noting that, like, yeah, another director gets a crack at it and cuts. I mean, an hour straight up off the top yeah. of the film that we know now. Like, just, nope, doesn't need this, doesn't need that. Um, Steven Soderbergh, of course, for anybody who doesn't remember, also did Ocean's Eleven, Logan Lucky, Magic Mike, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic. Um, so it's cool. I mean, it's cool to see how many people who are or have been influential in film had a part in making this movie. Like, right. it's really neat. Um, and I I enjoy it so much. I I, I love the kind of arc of, of Teddy and Samantha's relationship. It's really fascinating. It, it's a roller coaster. It's not just up and down. Like there's some, you know, there's some bumps along the way, but for the most part it works. How did you feel without getting too spoilery about the ending? Um, well, in, in a lot of ways, it's pretty appropriate with um, sure. what happens with the AIs. By the way, uh, Brian Cox, uh, I don't know if you noticed that was his voice. Yes, yes. Uh, it's funny because I, when I first saw it in 2013 i didn't notice who that voice was at that time and then this time it has right on it's brian cox um no it you know i i think in the end it's still again it's about that even though we have technology and we have all these ways of connecting and these ways of being digitally making digital friends that still nothing really beats just face-to-face good old-fashioned human interaction yeah i it's it's definitely a note on on human emotion and how like you don't have to feel a way towards somebody for your feeling to be valid you can feel for something and like it can be just as just as valid an emotional feeling as is feeling about somebody if that makes any sense um in the case of an ai versus a person but um, I, I think it's you know I think it's true. I, it it made sense to me. I, I agreed with it in a lot of ways. Um, so I don't know. I, I it is a curious film, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it though. Anything else you want to? Well, well, what you were saying about like you you know if, if these feelings are real, even if they're for something fake, you know it's it makes it real. Um, David Lynch has said something similar. Um, with kind of how dreams affect us. You know if. Um, sure. Like if you wake up from a night terror or something or a nightmare, um, you know, that fear is still real. So even if it, it fits a dream and it's not tangible, that doesn't mean your, your fear is any less. It's funny. Uh, speaking about eighth grade, Bo Burnham had a line about that, uh, in regards to one particular bit in the film, but it's too, it's too spoilery for me to talk about, but Andy, would you recommend Spike Jones's her? I think if you are in the mood for some sci-fi, um, cause it is a uh, futuristic it is. and, yeah. um, yeah, I want to kind of explore a little bit about human emotion. It is, I think it is a little bit on the slow, it's slower paced. Um, so I think you gotta be patient a little bit. It remi- yeah, it is on Netflix though. 
It is. Yes, this is on Netflix. That's where we watched it. It reminded me in an odd way of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's right. futuristic and it's about relationships and like it's not necessarily as like heavy as that movie, but like it's a trip, man. Yeah, you don't you don't you're not it's not it's not a summer blockbuster. You're not like, let's go see this movie. Like it's you gotta be in a place for yeah, it. Yeah, and I but, remember I mean they were people were talking that, you know, Scarjo should get a Oscar nomination for the voiceover, even though we don't have like you have to be on screen to be nominated and it is good VO though. People, yeah. It's good VO. I, yeah. I was a fan of the ScarJo Husk. <laughs> the Husk. <laughs> the, God. That's what I'll talk about. That's what I'll uh, yeah say. Yeah, I, I definitely thought when I started watching the movie, I was like, this movie would make a really cool double feature with like Blade Runner 2049. But like <laughs> in retrospect, I don't think it would. But I don't know. Either way, I, I think that about wraps our show. I think it does. A little short this week. I apologize. I was trying to drag out that conversation as long as I could, but I realized at some point, you know what? Let's just not. It's, <laughs> let's just keep it keep it high and tight. All right, there's nothing wrong with that. Next week, we're going to be talking about the new Spike Lee. Spike Lee. Oh, God, I want to say Spike Jones so bad. And I'm like, it's not Spike Jones. Spike Lee film. Spike Lee joint. Black Klansman. We're also going to be talking about... Uh, Million Dollar Baby, which is the Clint Eastwood film featuring Hilary Swank and Morgan Freeman on... Uh oh wait Amazon Prime Amazon Prime yes uh this will be good Million Dollar Baby is one of your favorite films yeah it is um th- so this was when uh, Clint Eastwood make this made this right after he did uh, Mystic River which was also nominated for Best Picture back in two thousand three mm. um so he made two I mean Oscar worthy Oscar winning films back to back and it was uh kind of an incredible time uh this movie is even better than than mystic river and um it's one of my favorites uh lots of oscars all around hillary swank won morgan freeman won one best picture i think best uh adapted screenplay um it's heavy stuff and it's really good uh a lot of people it was a little controversial as well when it came out i have seen mystic river i've seen gran torino i, I skipped fifteen seventeen to paris but i've seen a lot of colonies with flicks uh, that he's directed and i'm a big fan of all of them i have never seen this Big shoes to fill. Yeah, yeah. like you said. You, How did you, you miss this game. after after Mystic River? When did it come out? Uh, Two thousand four. Yeah, I was in. I don't. I don't want to date myself. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't old enough. You were too. To watch y- this you were movie. probably too young. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of kind of missed the, missed the mark there. Definitely too young for Mystic River, but I saw that later. This was one that I always thought about, but I never really got to. I didn't. I never really knew what it was about, but I right. always wanted to see it. So, um, I don't know. I guess we're gonna, you know. Check out check, Mr. Quiver. Check out Million Dollar Baby. Black Klansman, <laughs> a million dollar baby. Hopefully not too heavy of a week. I'm hoping Black Klansman's pretty pretty tongue in cheek. It looks like it's gonna be. So yeah. hopefully that comes off okay. But that'll be all right. If you enjoyed today's show, do us a solid. Hit the sub button. Smash that notification bell. Andy rolled his eyes. Uh, yeah, you got like, subscribe, comment where you're able, rate and review. It helps people find us. The show would not be what it is without each and every one of you. And we appreciate. You're listening. Uh, <laughs> also, right. check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. I think you can leave us a hop Yelp review. You can't, actually, but that would be neat if people could. Uh, and you can email us, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. If you have any thoughts about these summer blockbusters, anything we missed that we should have seen, anything that we were crazy about, except Jurassic World. We know we're right about that. Uh, if you liked her, if you've never seen it, if you have seen it, if you liked 8th grade, if there's a point we missed, if you want to see what we think about something, let us know. We'll read your review on the show. So, from all of us here at Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.